When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hey now, welcome to this episode of After 9. Kat is not joining us on this episode. She's got better things to do. Nah, I don't know what it is she's got going on, but she had to bail a little bit early. So hang out with me for a little bit. Uh, We're going to go as long as we can today. We wanted you to have something, so I'm going to jump in and ride this one solo. And there's a lot of stories to tell. There is a lot of audio to play for you. And I think I want to start with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. I got to tell you, the lawyer that Johnny Depp has is absolutely incredible. Surgical precision she uses to take down and dismantle just about everything Amber Heard has testified about. Now, one of the things that came up yesterday was when she was grilling Amber Heard about a time that she had James Franco over to Johnny Depp and her penthouse. Johnny was out of town. She had James Franco come over to the house. Listen to a little bit of the lawyer yesterday. You changed the locks to the penthouses on May 22nd, 2016. I attempted to. That's why you felt comfortable having James Franco over the evening of May 22nd, 2016, Ms. Heard? I do not know when James came over. Okay, let's remind you. That's you and Mr. Franco on May 22nd, 2016, right, Ms. Heard? That's correct. And you're taking him up to the penthouses, aren't you? That's where I lived, yes. And it's past 11 p.m. at night, isn't that right? I'm not quite sure of the time it looked it looked like that. Why don't we pull that video back up? 22.51. Almost midnight, right? That's... Uh, or, excuse me, almost 11 o'clock at night. Exactly. You knew Mr. Depp was out of town the week of May 21, 2016, didn't you? I don't know what I knew of his schedule at the time. You knew Mr. Depp was out of town on May 27th when you went to get the domestic violence restraining order. Isn't that right? I don't know if I knew that at the time. Wow. You knew, you knew Mr. Depp was heading out on a European tour that week. Isn't that right? I'm not quite sure what I understood of his schedule at that time. Wow. Systematically, this lawyer is stripping away at everything that Amber Heard has said. I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't even know how the judge is receiving it. But I will tell you, what this lawyer is doing is poking a ton of holes in Amber Heard's story and in her credibility. And how did that work? I'd love to know a little bit more about what James Franco was thinking. So you just ran into Johnny Depp's wife, and she tells you, Johnny's out of town. Come over to my place that I live in with Johnny? Is that how that went down? Or was he snowed? Did he have no idea that he was going to Johnny Depp's house? I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that. Maybe it even came up in court. I don't watch the whole thing. Kat gives me the audio. But nonetheless, this is really impressive. She also went after her yesterday on donations. Amber had committed to donating some of her settlement to charity. And she hasn't Sitting done here it. today, you have not donated the $7 million donated, not pledged, donated 
the $7 million divorce settlement to charity. I use pledge and donation synonymous with one another. They but do I the don't. Ms. Hurd, I don't use it synonymously. That's how donations are paid. Ms. Hurd, respectfully, <laughs> that's... That's not how they're paid. That's not... I can't say, hey, I'm going to donate a million dollars to sick kids and consider the donation made. You actually have to go through and make the donation from your bank account to theirs. As of today, you have not paid... million of your own money to the ACLU. Yes or no? I have not yet. And as of today, you have not paid $3.5 million of your own money to the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, correct? I have not yet. Johnny sued me. So as of today, you have not donated, paid $7 million of your divorce settlement to charity, right? I have not been able to fulfill those uh, those, uh, obligations yet. You know, I don't know why Amber is trying to play this game with this lawyer because she's bringing a knife to a gunfight here. This lawyer is good. I, uh, I'm i really curious to see how this goes down. Uh, we'll switch gears here. There's a lot of other things happening that you might want to know about. Yesterday, something absolutely fascinating happened in Ottawa. And I really, really, really hope that people pay attention to this. I don't know that they will. I don't know that mainstream media outlets, and I hate using that term, but I don't know if the big media outlets are going to cover this the way it should, but this is something that absolutely should be paid attention to. With a couple of months of hindsight, I think we've started to see that a lot of the reasons that the Federal Emergencies Act were in, was invoked were invalid. We had heard, oh, they're coming to overthrow the government. We have to have the Emergencies Act. And They were never going to overthrow the government. They didn't have the ability to overthrow the government. We'd heard they want uh, a regime change. We'd heard that they were uh, harassing citizens, that they were setting fires. And systematically, all of these things have been disproven. Is it possible that that was just a group of people that really wanted their freedoms back and wanted to have their voices heard? Well, it's starting to seem that way, and that's not in line with what the federal government told us. What was it the federal government said? Law enforcement needs special tools that can only be granted by declaring a national emergency, by invoking the Emergencies Act. Well, let's fact check that. Last week, the commissioner of the RCMP, our national police force, testified they were able to do their job and clear the border blockades and do their work on Parliament Hill without the Emergencies Act. Hmm. Well, that's weird because apparently they needed it. They told the feds they need it. The RCMP says, no, we got it done without the Emergencies Act. Okay, well, what about the Ottawa police? They were the ones on the ground that were tasked with being the first responders to any incidents in this protest. Essentially, it was their responsibility to clear this blockade. Yesterday, Ottawa's interim police chief, Steve Bell, told a parliamentary committee he didn't ask for it either. He didn't ask for the Emergencies Act to be declared to end the occupation in Ottawa. He didn't ask for it. Now, Prime Minister Trudeau has repeatedly said, that law enforcement asked for additional powers that could only be granted by declaring a national emergency. So now our federal and local police forces have both said they made no such request. 
Well, then who did? Or was it a lie? Was it a, a throw that out there and we'll deal with it later? Is someone going to get thrown under the bus for this? Is someone going to come clean and say, yeah, the, uh, we thought they might need it, but turns out they didn't need it. Well, if that's the case, then we never should have declared the emergency in the first place. The rest of the world was looking, saying, there's bouncy castles. What kind of an emergency is that? They were judging us hard. We looked horrible to the rest of the world when we did that. But it was apparently because the police needed those extra tools from the Emergencies Act. What tools? The ability to freeze bank accounts, to go back and seize assets, all of that stuff. Apparently it wasn't necessary. It wasn't needed. Will there ever be any accountability? Will there ever be? I don't know. But we have the parliamentary committee doing their work now, and I think that this just made the public inquiry that's about to get underway even more interesting. There's going to have to be witness testimony. I think at this point, if the police are saying, we didn't ask for that, then the government is going to have to produce whatever intelligence they had to say that they needed it. And then someone needs to explain why they said law enforcement needed it. Because so far, that doesn't appear to be true. Which law enforcement asked for it? Who made the request? Who approved the request? Who was in these discussions? This is important, guys. You can't just toss around things like the Emergencies Act and suspend civil liberties. You can't do it without a good reason. Well, we were led to believe there was a great reason and the police needed it. It doesn't appear that way right now. So we'll wait and see what comes of it. But I really hope people pay attention to it and look at that gross overreach if that, in fact, turns out to be what it was. And it certainly is pointing that way. Gas prices are out of control. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. These gas prices are like I've never seen before. The day I got my driver's license, gas was 39.9. I filled up on King Street in Cambridge, my 1984 Buick Century. And I didn't even know how to get gas. It's funny, when you take driver's ed, they teach you everything about driving, but they don't teach you how to pump the gas. I put the pump in, squeezed the handle, click. Tried it again. Click. Well, of course, a gas pump does that. You have to start slow and work your way up to a full squeeze. I didn't know that. And I ended up running out of gas because I thought it was full. I thought if the click happened, it must be full. It wasn't full. Anyway, that's off topic. Uh, $2.10 a liter is what we're paying today. It's expected to go down a penny. I mean, that's just a piss in the ocean at this point, right? It's going to go down a penny overnight. And then it's likely going to increase over the long weekend. It always does. Some of the analysts are saying it could go up 10 cents by the end of the long weekend. Is anybody watching out for us? Is anybody going to stand up and say, hold on, I represent the people of Canada and they can't afford this and it's not right. Not when we have oil in this country. Is anybody going to do that? Is any government going to stand up and say, we have a crisis going on here, an affordability crisis. The middle class is now quickly being squeezed to the brink. It's almost like they're trying to bankrupt the middle class. Between inflation being at a record high, gas prices being as high as they are, the government, sorry, the Bank of Canada aggressively raising interest rates. We're told there's another half point interest rate hike coming next month. How do they expect people to do this? How? Gas is almost doubled. 
almost doubled. Think about that. If you were, and we were paying crazy prices to begin with, but if you were spending, I don't know, what's the average? 200, 300 bucks a month on gas? Double it. Then add up the cost of groceries. People can't afford it. And nobody is willing to stand up and accept responsibility for this or say, here's my solution. And, and maybe the solution is a temporary tax cut. Not a rebate, a cut. Maybe. Doug says he'll cut the gas taxes, but not until after he's reelected. Okay, fine. He can do that, I guess. But we need it now. And it's only going to be up to 10 cents. And I'm sure the oil companies will absorb some of that themselves and, and take some of that money back when they raise prices because we'll never actually know what the fair price is, what we're supposed to be paying. This is information they don't make public for a lot of people. And it's very, very frustrating. It's discouraging. Guys, I'm scared about what I see happening right now. Families that were fine just a couple of months ago. They weathered the COVID storm. We were told the job market is huge and and there's so much opportunity and you're in the driver's seat. You can call the shots. You want to work from home? Tell them I'm working from home or fuck you. I'll find another job. Everybody was led to believe we were going into this great prosperous time. The housing market, well, that was a little wonky. Houses were going for a lot. We, we had a plan to fix that. We were just too slow to do it. Well, now the Bank of Canada has cooled that housing market pretty fucking quick, haven't they? Boy, raise the interest rates a couple of times. It's amazing how many people still can't afford a home, but now they're not even trying. So the people trying to sell their homes, they're getting screwed over too. It's a scary time here, guys. I, I really don't know what to say. I, I don't, other than it doesn't seem like anybody's looking out for us. It almost seems like the goal here is to bankrupt the middle class because they can't afford what's going on. They, they had their ducks in a row. Everything was good just a few months ago. And then all this happened all at once, and nobody is doing anything to take the pressure off. And I feel so bad for people that are being squeezed, and soon they will. It's a cliche that gets tossed around during elections. You shouldn't have to choose between heating and eating. That's what it's coming to. It's coming to that. Are people going to have to choose between, well, I need to go to work to make money so I can afford the house, but I can't afford to get to work because that's kind of the way it seems like it's going here. There's a crisis on the way, and unless somebody steps up and does something, we're in deep shit. Really deep. Scary stuff. Anyway, we'll switch gears here because there's a lot of other stories I want to talk to you about. We're going to start with a charity. I love charitable causes, and I think it's good whenever we get the opportunity to help that we put these things out there. So here's the cause, and you can decide if this is something you'd like to support. Her name is Haley Marie. She went on TikTok to complain about her small boobs. She admitted she's still wearing the same bra as she was when she was a preteen. She says, if you're seeing this and your bra size hasn't changed since the very first bra you bought when you were eight years old, this one's for you. The bigger, more muscular and older I get, the smaller my boobs are getting. I'm seriously not kidding it's ridiculous. And Haley had an idea to help both herself and other women with small breasts who want to do something about it. So Haley says, I think it's about time we all come together. Clearly, not all of us have been graced with big juicy jugs 
but we have been graced with brains. And if we put them together, do you understand how many boob jobs women could give to other women? She says she's asking for 10,000 people to send her $1 to get this rolling. And then next month, they'll do it for another girl and she'll get her boob, boob job. She says Christmas is no longer coming just once a year. She wants to change the boob world $1 at a time. Is that something you could get behind? Donate a dollar to a stranger who wants a boob job? Could you? I'm not saying it's a bad cause. Not by any means. I'm saying it's strange. We, we don't get stories like this very often. And maybe there's something to it. Hey, if it's not something that's covered by OHIP, you have to pay for it yourself. And if that's the case, why not crowdsource it? Maybe other people would like to have an investment in your boobs. Maybe. I'll tell you, she's doing okay. So far, she's raised, in just a few weeks, $7,000. She's 70% of the way to her goal of a boob job. And good for her. Hey, if she's not comfortable looking in the mirror, she wants to do something about it, great. But she can't afford it. Money gets in the way of a lot of different things. She's at least going to pay it forward. Is pay it forward the right term? I think in a way it kind of is paying it forward because after she's got her boobs, she is going to go and help other women. In fact, she may have already had the boob job. Last I heard, she had uh, booked the appointment. So maybe she's all all uh, C-cupped up. <laughs> and if she is actually going to follow through and help other women, uh, good for her. That's very good. And if you want to participate, just Google it. She wants 10,000 people to each donate one dollar to this cause. Uh, while we're talking about stories like this, there's another one I want to tell you. This is from a marriage therapist. She was on TikTok and revealed one of the biggest complaints that women have about their husbands. Call me crazy, but you could probably fill a warehouse with some of the complaints that some women have about their husbands. But this therapist's name is Corinne. She was talking about how men will take passive responsibility. Here's her in her own words. Active responsibility would be you looking around the house for things that you could do. Passive responsibility would be being available to help, but waiting for somebody to tell you what needs to be done. This is one of the top things that I hear from women as a complaint, that their husbands are waiting for them to tell them what needs to be done. And they're really looking for a partner in life who is actively responsible for the house and for the children and not waiting for their wife to tell them what to do. Yeah, I, uh, I get where she's coming from. I really do. I, uh, I don't have that personal dilemma in my life. But yeah, I'm sure there are people out there who are frustrated with that. Oh, he'll do the dishes, but I have to tell him to do the dishes. He'll cut the grass, but I have to point out to him how long the grass is getting. He'll put the kids to bed, but I have to remind him it's bedtime. Certainly. I understand that it would be great to have a partner. But can we at least acknowledge that it's not a big deal to point that stuff out to him? Not all of us have that as a strength. I'm one of them. When I was growing up, my parents told me, hey, you got to help out around the house. And I remember having this conversation with them saying, yeah, yeah, no problem. Just tell me what needs to be done. And I remember my mom giving me shit. Look at the grass. You don't need me to tell you it's long. Just go cut the grass. 
I don't notice that sort of stuff. And, and it's, I want to help. I want to be part of the solution. But I just, that sort of stuff just doesn't stick out to me. It's not something that I look at and think, oh, shit, I better get on top of that. So maybe if you're in that situation and Corinne there, the therapist, is on to something, that that is a legitimate bona fide complaint, have a conversation with your partner about it. Say, hey, I shouldn't have to remind you that Thursday is garbage day. Every Thursday is garbage day. Take out the goddamn garbage. If that's his responsibility when you've delegated out the chores. Okay, fine. And I'm also going to throw this out there. Ladies, sometimes you're a little picky. Sometimes, one week, you might want the carpets vacuumed. The next week, if he goes to vacuum the carpets, maybe he gets in shit because the carpets don't need to be done right now. The cupboards need to be rearranged. Sometimes it's good to check in and just make sure you're on the same page. It all comes down to communication. And there's nothing wrong with having a conversation about that. I think that's okay. Uh, Bonafide complaint? Sure. Solvable problem? Absolutely. Hopefully people that are dealing with that get it worked out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, sad story here, guys. It's never good when a relationship comes to an end, but during the pandemic, a true love story. A 26-year-old woman met a guy. He is a factory worker from Detroit. She lives in the UK. And they met through a Facebook group that was trying to connect people that wanted to be pen pals. Ah, lovely. Well, these two took the conversation into a private room. And they decided they liked each other. You know what? This is good. I'm glad we discovered each other and became pen pals. Now let's take it to the next level. They got married. They'd never met. They lived in two different countries on two different continents. And they got married. They got married over Zoom. I'm sad to report the marriage is over. (laughs) She claims he was unfaithful. And now she can't trust him anymore. She says his ex has confirmed that she is back together with him. This is a guy who's married to a woman in another country that he's never met who's still hooking up with his ex. And the ex confirmed it to his wife. So that's why the marriage came to an end. Can we talk about how ridiculous that is for a second, though? I get that this would have been a nice story 
had it all worked out. Ah, during a pandemic, star-crossed lovers' long-distance relationship started as pen pals and it evolved into marriage. Well, now we're in a situation where the marriage evolved into divorce. He's never met his wife in person. They've never met. They're going to get divorced and still haven't met. The judge is going to have a field day with this divorce. What do you sort out? Is there anything to divide? <laughs> Seriously. Are they going to have to go over the, the Section 7 expense? Well, no, they wouldn't have kids because they've never met. Y- you know, I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. But they wanted to get married over Zoom during the pandemic, and now they want people to feel sorry for them that they're divorcing. Frankly, I'm shocked that we ended up in this spot anyway. How did that happen? How did that happen? Chalk it up to COVID. When the book eventually comes out, it's going to be a hell of a book with sidebars just like that. You're an adult, I hope. If you're not an adult and listening to this podcast, something has gone wrong in your parental supervision. But they asked adults, when did you start to feel like an adult? And this has come up in the past. Was there an incident or was it when you turned 18? This is a relevant story because one of the things being discussed at the federal level is whether or not we should change the voting age. There's some parties that feel the voting age should be dropped to as low as 16 years old. They feel that if you're 16, you're probably working, you're probably driving. The laws of the land affect you. So you should have a say in who the leaders are. That's not a conversation that we're going to have here today. But as we know, the age of majority is 18 years old. When you're 18, you can vote. When you're 18, you're technically considered an adult, even when it comes to crime and punishment. 53% say they felt like an adult when they turned 18 years old. Just over half say they felt like an adult when they turned 18. But 70% also agreed 18 is a very arbitrary age to consider someone an adult. We all mature at different levels. We're all at different stages in life. Some people at 18 have got their own place and they're a parent. Other people at 18 don't even know what the hell they want to do for the rest of their life. We're at very different stages at that age. So they asked, okay, well, what's an incident or a thing that happened in your life that made you feel like an adult? Let's run down the list. 30% say when they started living on their own was when they felt like they were a grown-up, when they got their first place. Other responses included buying a house. Yeah, even just the act of buying a house, going with the realtor to look at places, trying to picture where your furniture could fit into that place or how you're going to furnish that place. When you go out on your own, you either got to buy furniture or you got to take the hand-me-downs. Other people said getting married was when they felt like an adult. Another popular one was when they had their own bank account. I don't know if I would go with bank account. I've had a bank account since I was a kid. I had one of those Leo the Lion savings accounts from Royal Bank of Canada before we even shortened it to RBC. Maybe it's when you get your first investment account or when you get your first crypto account or when you get your first RRSP account. Maybe that's it. Having kids very popular. When you have kids, you're, you stop being a kid and then you have to act like an adult. I can see why that one's there. 
doing all your own grocery shopping. That's weird. Do you remember back to the first time you did grocery shopping? Wasn't that an eye-opening experience? I'll never forget mine. I got my own place. Still didn't really feel like an adult, but I knew that I had to start doing adult things. When you go into the grocery store, that's a bit of a reality check. Excuse me, how much do you want for a watermelon? No, thank you. I'll pass. My parents used to pay that much money for a bottle of ketchup for me, and I treated that bottle of ketchup. I abused that bottle of ketchup. I put that shit on everything. That's how much it costs. It's free at McDonald's. That's when the cost of things really starts impacting your decision making, doesn't it? Some people said doing your own taxes, being off the family cell phone plan. I feel like that's still a fairly new one. I don't know how many people recently got kicked off their family cell phone plan, but they've only had family plans for, I don't know, about 10 years now. I'm guessing it's probably about 10 years. Either way, when your parents say, yeah, yeah, freeloader, it's uh, time to pay your own bill. Piss off. Here it is. Call Bell or call Rogers or call TELUS and tell them you need your own cell phone plan because we're not paying the bill anymore. I can see why that would make you feel like an adult getting that bill with your name on it and your address on it and having to pay it. Voting. Some people said that. Uh, By the way, congratulations to everybody who has recently turned 18. You get an opportunity to vote in less than a month when we have a provincial election here in Ontario. Others said when they had a regular job, and the last answer on the list was when you had to go out and buy real furniture, not just stuff off of Craigslist. (laughs) I thought most people's furniture was a hand-me-down. Mine was. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Congratulations. You're getting a new living room set. I'm getting the same living room set I've sat on for all these years, but it feels good when it's in your own place. Uh, That's a good list. Uh, I did mention the... Provincial election, and I'll do a quick update for you because yesterday was another good day on the campaign trail. NDP leader Andrea Horvath is promising universal mental health care plans for Ontario children and schools. She says an NDP government would double the funding for mental health staff and supports in schools so kids always have someone to turn to. She says they'll invest $125 million in mental health and well-being professionals and programming every year, as well as another $467 million over the next three years to hire more educational assistants from diverse backgrounds. You know, I wonder about some of these promises. I've heard one of the promises was to hire 20,000 new teachers, to hire 20,000 new nurses. Now we're going to hire a whole bunch of mental health staff. For the students in schools. And while I think that's great, and I think kids could definitely benefit from it, kids have been through so much. And I know that they're resilient, but we really fucked them over for the last couple of years. They went through hell in a lot of ways. Do we have enough mental health professionals that are unemployed in Ontario that want to go and work in a school? Will they just go and sit in the nurse's room and wait for somebody to come down and say, I'm feeling a little down today? And what will they do with that when that happens? Is that how this is going to work? Andrea, I'm not saying this is a bad idea at all. And I'm not saying it's not a good use of money because it likely is a good use of money. But I think people would like to know a little bit more about how this is going to work. I think back to the pandemic and Stephen Lecce promised, oh, we're going to have all these mental health nurses in schools. 
I know a lot of teachers and I don't know many schools that have a mental health nurse. To be honest, me personally, I've never met one. Not one. Do schools have mental health nurses? Because the NDP are promising to hire them. From where? How long will it take until they're in schools? Are these people that haven't even started the program yet? Will this be like a four-year thing before we start to introduce it? Where are we going to get all these people? I'm genuinely curious about how it would work. And if Andrea wants to come on and talk about that or anything else, she's certainly welcome. So are Doug and Steve and, and Mike Schreiner as well. Yesterday, Doug Ford, the, uh, he's playing it so safe. So, so safe. It's very scripted. He's running a front-runner campaign, and I don't even blame him. He's got a big lead. If he talks, he runs the risk of saying something stupid or saying something the opposition parties will use against him, so it makes sense just to lay low. I get it, Doug. I totally understand in this case. But yesterday, he did take some media questions, and he wouldn't commit to repealing the public sector wage cap of 1%. He wouldn't commit to repealing it. I know that there's a lot of pressure on the premier right now to do that, particularly from the nurses. The nurses, I think, are being the most vocal about the fact that they don't like that their pay increases are capped at 1% per year. Um, Okay, at least Doug's being honest about it. He's not going to commit to repealing it. In some cases, it's probably justified to leave it in, in place. But I think we all have a soft spot for the nurses now. We saw how hard they worked. There has to be a compromise or an exception here without changing the law to still reward people that have gone above and beyond during the pandemic. And I don't know many people that think nurses haven't. So if we can find a way, maybe it's a bonus system. Maybe there's a way to make everybody happy here. I think that would probably be good. And I wouldn't at all be surprised if that's something that the government is working on. Uh, The premier celebrating another union endorsement. I got to tell you, it is fucking weird to see so many unions lining up to endorse a conservative candidate. That typically doesn't happen, but I guess it speaks to the relationship that Doug had with the unions over the last four years. The International Union of Painters and Allied Trades has now officially endorsed the Progressive Conservative Party. Steve Del Duca must be banging his head against the wall. Traditional places of support that he had are not looking good with this election now just three weeks away and the advance polls about to open. Uh, Doug said yesterday, members of the unions are people who are going to build Ontario and he will always have their backs. And again, when asked if he would repeal Bill 124 covering nurses and other public sector workers, he said he would treat them fairly when the three-year wage cap that was imposed in 2019 is over. And by the way, it's going to be over soon. So assuming Doug gets reelected and he does have a big lead in the polls, like I said, I would assume this is going to be a very, very hot topic uh, when they talk about doing uh, repealing it or renewing it or amending it. Is 1% fair? Uh, it depends who you ask. If you ask people in the public sector, they'll likely say no. But these are people that are directly impacted by this decision. If you ask people in the private sector, hey, would you like to guaranteed get a 1% pay increase every year for the foreseeable future? I think a lot of them would probably take that. They might want more, but they would probably take the guarantee. And we're going to have to find a happy medium here. But while we're spending all this money and the, the provincial election campaign marches on, 
We talk a lot about healthcare funding and, and the salaries of the nurses aside, because I do think that we need to do something for them. I don't necessarily think we need to repeal Bill 124 to still do something for the nurses. But since we're talking about healthcare funding, what's it going to take to get proper funding in place so that every time I open my phone and every time I turn on the TV or listen to the radio, I don't hear an ad for a hospital having to fundraise. I can't possibly be the only one in Ontario that finds it embarrassing that our hospitals have to sell fucking raffle tickets to buy an MRI machine. Does that happen anywhere else? Are any other countries that have this universal healthcare system having to hold a raffle or a bake sale in order to buy diagnostic equipment for the NICU? That seems ridiculous to me. We apparently have the greatest system on earth. Then why are we constantly having to fundraise to buy new equipment? I've hosted a number of those fundraisers, and I'm proud to say I've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years for various hospitals to buy some of this equipment. And I talk to the people that run those hospital foundations, and I ask them, why are you always fundraising? And the answer is simple. The money they get, their funding, covers their day-to-day operations and it covers salaries and stuff like that, but it doesn't cover those purchases. Hey, listen, in the past, I would have understood the argument. We can't afford to, right now, go out and buy 300 new MRI machines. We just don't have that in the budget. But it kind of seems like the budget has gone out the window anyway. Nobody's really watching the money that's going out the door. It's being promised out like, like we hand out money or hand out candy on Halloween. So if that's the case, then why don't we just fund some of this shit? If a hospital needs an MRI machine, get them a damn MRI machine. They need it because there's demand. And if there's demand, it's only going to get worse as the population ages. I'd love to see that kind of sustained funding in place so that hospitals can go out and get the stuff they need. And while we're talking fundraisers, I've heard nonstop about how school funding is so important. And and the conservatives will tell you they've made the biggest investments in schools in ages. And I believe that. We bought them all a HEPA filter. Every classroom got a HEPA filter or a, a clean air machine. Okay, that's good. But do they have everything they need? Because every month, friends are calling me saying, hey, my kid's school is having a dance-a-thon. Can you donate 50 bucks or 20 bucks?" Every month it's something. Schools are constantly fundraising too. And when, and it, it, when I look at the billions of dollars on the books to fund education and healthcare, it doesn't seem like a situation where they should be fundraising as much as they are. It's bizarre. I'd love to see a real reform of how these things get done. And, and whatever happened to that line-by-line audit that Doug promised four years ago when he was running to take over the job from Kathleen Wynne? A line-by-line audit. We're going to go through the budget line-by-line. Did you not notice the, the line about MRIs? Didn't you think it was weird that, that hospitals are having to fundraise? Maybe we could go back and look again at where all this money is being spent and ask ourselves if it could be redirected and prioritized for important things like an MRI machine, new diagnostic imaging equipment, that sort of thing. Just a thought. I'm not in charge. Everybody else uh, at Queen's Park seems to make these decisions, and we'll trust that they get it right. But let's hold them accountable. Let's make sure they get it right. Because when you look around, there's a lot of stuff that seems messed up. The government seems to have an infinite amount of money to spend on this, that, and the other thing. But are we spending it right? Eh, Talk to those candidates when they come to your door. Uh, Pick up the phone and call them. Shoot off an email. 
See what kind of a reply you get from your local candidates and see what they have to say about these things. I think it's a worthwhile exercise and it will leave us all better off in the long run. Last thing I'll do here is a story that we had on our radio show today. It's about a woman who let her toddler play with her phone. I think everybody understands the risk of letting your toddler play with your phone. If it's an inactive phone, it can still call 911. And that happens all the time. Old phones, even deactivated, can still call 911. They get calls from kids that are playing with phones all the time. Very frustrating for the 911 operators, but this is the system we have. They rely on parents to supervise their kids when they're playing with those old phones. This one's a little bit different, though. Uh, Mom's name is Amber, and she has told the story of how she let her toddler play with her phone. She had the DoorDash app on there. Well, the DoorDash app is full of very appetizing pictures. And this toddler, in playing with the phone and clicking on pictures that they liked, inadvertently ordered 31 cheeseburgers. 31. So I didn't know what to do with him. He only ate half of one. So I posted on a community page and asked if anybody wanted some. One girl came by and picked up six. As part of that $90 bill, Barrett actually included a $16 tip. It's a He's good tipper. Yeah, that kid is a good tipper. 16 bucks on 90 that's not bad from a toddler. There's adults who don't tip that well. Uh, yeah, that's a weird situation. It's not like you can send them back. McDonald's doesn't want their burgers back. You ordered 31 cheeseburgers? Here's 31 cheeseburgers. I did think it was really interesting, though, that she put it out to the community. Hey, here's what happened. My kid was playing with my phone, and they ordered a lot of food. I don't want to throw it out, so if you want a cheeseburger, just come by 1, 2, 3, Second Street and pick up some burgers. I would find that weird. I wouldn't be the guy who would drop by and pick up some of those burgers. But it's interesting that some people did. The woman who came by and picked up six, ah, that's fantastic. Good for her. And on that, I will say thank you for listening to this episode of After 9. I know it's a little weird when Kat's not here, but she'll be back tomorrow. And then on Friday, Dave Blizzard is going to join us. If you are in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, tomorrow is May 19th. And Kitchener is the home of the 519 area code. Actually, there's a whole bunch of cities around Kitchener that are 519. And our radio show is on 915. So tomorrow is 519 day. We're giving away Justin Bieber tickets just after 8 o'clock as the most famous resident of the 519 area code, arguably. Uh, Tune in tomorrow just after 8 a.m. Eastern time and you could win. Have yourselves a fantastic hump day. We are halfway to the long weekend. The FDA just authorized the first at-home COVID test that can also detect other viruses like the flu. That's amazing. Now you can be kind of unsure if you have everything. (laughs) The CDC this week advised domestic travelers to get tested for the coronavirus no more than three days before their trip. Incidentally, three days before the trip is also when your dad thinks you should get to the airport. White Claw is releasing a new line of drinks for the summer called Refresher. As in, I drank too many White Claws last night and need a refresher on how I got home. The After 9 Podcast is powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold, guaranteed, or he'll buy it.